unless they're going to be getting into different industries like implementing charging stations and then you have to factor in well what's the oil and gas market cap does that funnel into it maybe you could justify in that sense that they're building out an ecosystem of sorts that way all opinions expressed by austin and chris or any guests on the podcast are solely their own opinions and should not be relied upon for investment decisions this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only austin and chris or any guests on the podcast may maintain positions in the securities discussed welcome back to another episode of vol to valuation I am one of the co-hosts, Chris Bardo, aka Fiducia Invest on Twitter, and I run Fiducia Investment Research website and the co-host, Lamani Trades on Twitter. And we took a bit of a hiatus, I guess you could say, the past few weeks. I think it's almost been a full month. We got super busy. We're trying to set up a time, a perfect time for the next uh, person, individual we are having on the podcast to interview, and we're excited. We're excited to have them on and ask them questions. I feel like they are going to do a lot of the talking mm-hmm. because I am super eager to hear what they have to say. That aside, today we're just kind of going to kind of mess around, talk about some recent news that's been going on. Um, I'm headed to Chicago this weekend for a car show with my dad. I know you had some things that you wanted to talk about too, Lamani. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know we we talked about how we were going to have a guest on for this episode, but given the timing of things and getting that set up, all the logistics, we're going to push that back a week. And what we decided for for this episode is that we start a new kind of podcast subsegment and call it market commentary. So this will be the first of that iteration. And then periodically we'll have just a chit chat back and forth, less on a topic specific and more so just what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're listening and just chit chatting back and forth. But with that being said, we will have an ex-guest on, an ex-Goldman Sachs employee, now currently works uh, for himself, I think, running a family office. And it'll be really interesting to get his perspective, very knowledgeable person. Uh, And like Chris said, it'll be mainly us just getting his perspective on things like markets, inflation, and asset class allocations, things of that nature. But uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be recording that sometime within the next week or two. And then obviously we have the holiday season coming up. So we'll have to work through some logistics there. But okay, all of the administrative things out of the door. Recently, Fiducia and Lamani Trades got to link up and had a, had a pretty fun weekend. We went down to Ohio Pile, about call it two hours, hour and a half from Pittsburgh had a really good time there. And that was also one of the reasons why we kind of took a, a larger than usual break. But uh, I thought that was a really great time. It was a good time. It was good to relax, go in the hot tub. I like Ohio Pile. It's a good relaxing place to go. And for those of you who don't know what Ohio Pile is, I think it's a, is it a state park? I Ohio think so. Pile State Park. I think it yeah. is a state park. Um, it has like this little city in the middle of it. Not even a city. It's like a little town. Um, they have a bunch of little small shops you could shop at. They have water, a little waterfall, some nature trails you could go on. And we stayed in a house, an Airbnb, actually, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes away from it. And it's right here in Nemecolon, which is also a really cool place to go. So for our listeners, if you're ever in Pittsburgh area and you want to kind of like a secluded area, look into Nemecolon. It's really cool. Um, I've been there once with my wife. Yeah, that area is really relaxing. And you have that Nemecolon Resort right there, which has excellent golf and amenities. So even if you want more of like an all-inclusive package, 
you have Ohio Pile for the scenery, and then you have Nemecolon for that resort style vacation. But yeah, it was it was a really good time. Uh, I think that's something we'll probably plan on doing periodically. Get get our group of friends together and just go to different places. But um, we tried we tried not talking about finance and stocks. But when you have four guys together uh, who are all in the business finance area, there were girls there too. Don't worry. When you have four guys who are all in finance together, there one's in accounting ish. Um, it's kind of hard to not talk about it, but we did a pretty good job. I'm not going to lie. And I we didn't talk say, about it that much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we always make like these little <laughs> stupid finance jokes. And then like, <laughs> if you're not in finance or accounting, it's more so you get the scoff and it's like, all right, shut up about that stuff. Like we're here to just relax. But I will say Chris made some yep, bomb mistakes. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Everybody knows on Twitter that I love cooking. I, if, if I wasn't investing in trading full-time, I'd probably be a cook. I like cooking. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you and Connor share that as a passion. I remember mm-hmm. when we brought him on, he was saying his love for food and just trying new things. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always, always good trying new foods, especially if someone else is making it for you. Yeah. You don't have to do any of the work. Yeah. Oh, by the way, listeners, it's Thursday. It was a good day in the market. We're having a beer while we're recording this podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we'll keep this one casual. Just hopefully keep it entertaining for everyone. But that's so far, that's kind of what we've been up to. Uh, got the group together at Ohio Pile. Also, one of the good things I, one of the things I wanted to bring up is I got a new iPhone and it's been five years since I got a new one. And uh, I really like the iPhone 13. I'm glad I switched with the bigger screen and everything. And I know like the whole thing with supply chain issues. It took me over mm-hmm. a month to get my phone and hopefully that starts to kind of digress a little bit. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some of that today, but yeah, I got a new iPhone. Yeah, that's awesome. I have, I, th- I have last year's model, the 12 pro max. And I think this is the first year I might actually wait until the next one comes out. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm just not in a rush to get it. Maybe it's the supply chain thing. I just don't feel like waiting, but I was one of those guys, Apple fanboys, that would get the new one almost on a yearly basis. I think if you have the 12 Pro, there's no need for the 13 Pro. If I were to recommend anyone that uses iPhones, um, if you have the 12 of any sort, I don't think it's worth it. But if you have prior to that, then I think you get some built-in functionality. Between the 12 and 13, really the only difference is going to be the camera and video. So, Yeah, and I feel like that's a lot of what people want now is they want that high quality portable camera in their pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're like a professional photographer and you have those Nikons and I don't even know the name of the professional cameras, but I know they have huge lenses that mm-hmm. you could take really high quality photos in. But if you want to take good quality photos, Apple, iPhone, I think that's the place to be. Some people are even putting on like the reels on Instagram with just their iPhone 13. Like they're making like short films with just just your iphone and they advertise that on uh, apple too like all the cinema stuff that they could do eventually yeah i could see iphones or smartphones in general displacing the whole camera market like why not you have somewhere where it's integrated fully you take your camera your picture your video and then you Mm -hmm. upload it to your social media and it's high production quality and you can even plug in like you know screens if you want a larger screen to do all the video editing 
and all that stuff. And then it's already there, like no need to transfer that to a, a right. laptop or a phone. Right. But um, last thing before we get into, I guess, the juicy stuff, went to the Steelers game last Sunday and it was absolutely the worst game to go to. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I went tailgating. It was a 1 p.m. game, so I, I got down there at like 9 a.m., uh, tailgated with some friends, and then went to the game on the Clipper, took that over, and then took it back uh, when we That's were ready cool. to go. Yeah, and it's uh, it's 12 bucks. so if you ever go to a Steelers game, if you tailgate in the Station Square parking lot, then you can just take the, the Clipper across the river to the stadium and then take it back right after the game ends, and it's 12 bucks round trip. So six bucks one way. Um, yeah, not too bad. And you save a bunch on traffic, a bunch of time on traffic because you don't, you're not really right by the stadium. You're across the river, but, uh, went there and they tied the lines, the, the O and eight lines they tied in overtime. They tied nonetheless. I will say big Ben was out, which might've changed it a little bit, but even then, like you got to win those games. The Steelers have they have a good defense, I feel like, but the fact they couldn't shut down Jared Goff on the Lions, who are 0 and 8. I mean, th- the Lions might be the worst, the worst best 0 and 8 team because they've come close to winning. So they're not like the older Detroit Lions where they went 0 and 16. I, I, I too old, I'm too young to remember what year that was, but they're not that Lions team anymore. They're not bad but they're not good. They're like right in the middle. But the fact that the Steelers couldn't beat them, I think it's worse for the Steelers than it is the Lions. Oh, That's a yeah, win for the Lions. Yeah, that tie is yeah. a win. Hundred, Yeah, 100%. Um, but I mean, all in all, it was, it was fun to go instead of not doing anything, but I wish it would have been a more exciting game than a tie. Chiefs but, won. Yeah, Chiefs did win. Well, they smoked the Raiders. That wasn't a win. That was a smoke. They're There's getting into this session. point where they, they kind of got to win out or at least go. They like, have to. Yeah, yeah, at least go like 75% of the games because they're getting down mm-hmm. to the wire. Yep. Cowboys uh, on Sunday. I think it's a 425 game or something. So that'll Cowboys be really are good. good this year. Yeah. I'm, Which is, I'm, it's surprising. Like they came out of yet. nowhere and they're like, they're like tied for second or something. Yeah. I think Green Bay is first now. Yeah. And Cardinals, I think are up there. But um, anyways, that's our football mm-hmm. talk. Uh. Are you doing anything for the holiday season? I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, what do you What do you usually do during this time? So my extended family all lives in Cleveland. So normally my parents, my fam, like my family that lives here, and Alex and now Scarlett will go back and we'll visit uh, my grandma or my mom's side of the family for one of the days, Thanksgiving, or the day after. Um, and then we spend the other day with Alex's family, but we're not sure. I don't even know what we're doing this year yet. Um, so gotcha. Yeah, I'll have dinner for Thanksgiving with my family and then probably go home for the Christmas season. Usually I don't even like take that whole week off. Yeah. I don't even like Thanksgiving food. What? You're going to, I'd canceled. rather. So Alex and I, uh, had a mini Thanksgiving Sunday with, uh, her sister and boyfriend. And uh, it just reminded me that I would rather eat chicken nuggets, like dino chicken nuggets with hot sauce or something. It's just, there's, it's not good. It's not, I don't sit there and I'm like, yes, I want Thanksgiving food to eat. No, I I'd rather know. eat it's my pizza. Ah. It's just so much optionality. And like, 
you know you had a good meal once when you're done and you sit on the couch and you're ready to pass out. Like that's a good meal. But so, that makes me that made me think of something real quick. If you had to choose between smiley fries, curly fries, or just like regular fries, what are you choosing? Curly fries. Oh, smiley fries is the way to go. Probably, yeah. Curly fries. Do you remember getting smiley like smiley fries? Like in high school, did you get did you get smiley fries in high school at all? No. So our high school, it was the curly kind of like the darker brown curly fries that like taste really ones. good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Those were fire. And those are really good. All right. Yeah. So anyways, speaking about optionality, let's get into some business talk. Okay. And I think how we should start this classic because we see it on Twitter a lot, electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. actually want to talk about optionality with electric vehicles. I just made that transition because it had to do with businesses. Call options. So I know, <laughs> I know you have some data on electric vehicles and I, I want to hear this again because it's mind blowing. Yeah. So if you look at the electric vehicle industry uh, or I guess the auto manufacturing industry as a whole in the total space of sales, of auto manufacturers, electric vehicle companies make up almost 2%, 1.9% of sales, of all auto sales globally. Now, if you look at the market caps of all auto companies in the world, electric vehicles make up almost 41% of the total auto market cap. So if you think about it in terms of another way of saying this is pretty much saying the price to sales. So mm-hmm. in these terms, like at one point, at some point, you have to ask yourself, how far out are they looking into the future that they're going to value them like a tech, a high growth tech company, something in a very innovative industry? Like, there's only so many times you're going to buy a car. Mm-hmm. And there's like not much in terms of product evolution. Like, the iPhone will come out every year, people will buy it. But and every, the every ecosystem, year, yeah, that's every the right year term. Release it, yeah, yeah, 100%. And every year you, you release a new Tesla and yeah, you get a little bit of enhancements on the miles and the charging times and all of that. Um, but the only people that are really buying a high cost item like that are the people that were ready to buy a car. So they're going to go car shopping and just, it's insane to me that you have this pull forward from like, it has to be like 30 years into the future to get these type of market caps on that amount of growth. Like at some point you got to say like, there's some froth here. Yeah. And you have Rivian that doesn't even have right now any sales. And I don't even know the market cap. I don't even pay attention to it because I, I just, I don't care anymore about that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I have no interest in electric vehicles, but I do have to, I was just thinking about it while you were talking about that. I think it was California, like the one state in the United States that is pushing that you can only buy electric vehicles by like 2035 or something. So I think, I think it's that- in terms of auto manufacturers have to transition to okay. electric vehicles by some point, or at least have miles per gallon be above a certain point by like 2023. I know there's that. So I guess maybe EVs have a little bit of government intervention going for them to justify. I don't even know if it justifies the prices now. Well, even if we say there's a transition between you can't buy combustion engine vehicles anymore and you go to only, let's say US-wide, you can only buy electric vehicles starting in 2022. 
the market caps still wouldn't justify that because you would think that they would just replace the total market cap of the traditional auto manufacturers. Correct. Correct. So right. unless they're going to be getting into different industries, like implementing charging stations, and then you have to factor in, well, what's the oil and gas market cap? Does that funnel into it? Like maybe you could justify it in that sense that they're building out an ecosystem mm -hmm. of sorts that way. But mm -hmm. in terms of like, what's been popular right now, and I know you brought up Rivian, but like Rivian and Lucid, Lucid is just now starting to deliver um, some of their first vehicles right now. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Rivian doesn't even have any sales, but both of those companies combined make up 6%, 6 to 7% of the total auto manufacturer market cap. So 7% is tied to Rivian and Lucid and you don't have any sales yet. I mean, they're coming soon for Lucid, but in the most part, you have over $100 billion of market cap tied to nothing. It's absolutely insane. My jaw just falls on the ground when I hear that. But I mean, look, we got a lot of money flowing around in the markets. It's got to go someplace, right? I mean, you see a lot of quote unquote shit co's, people like to call them, that were up 100, 200% last year. And now, you're starting to see them kind of fall out this year. And I think you're seeing some mean reversion. You're seeing people kind of, it's a stock pickers market at this point. If we want to transition to that, it's markets are at all time highs, nominally, not valuation wise uh, for the S&P 500 at least. Um, and I think you're seeing this diverge. You're definitely seeing breadth weaken, but you're seeing the strongest names do well and the weaker names are getting left in the dust. Mm -hmm. Peloton. Teladoc, Jumia Technologies, that Amazon in Africa or whatever it's called. So you're going to see a divergence like that um, in the coming years. People are going to base their investments off of fundamentals now, not the massive flows of liquidity in the market. That's my opinion. So I think you'll see the electric vehicles. Uh, Apple today, speaking of electric vehicles, they were up, like, they literally shot up intraday, like two and a half percent, uh, because they came out. I didn't actually read any articles on it, but they came out that they're pushing for autonomous vehicle with no steering wheel by 2025 or something. That's insane. Yeah, that's an insane accomplishment if that occurs. Unless they have stuff that no one else has and they're just hush hush about it like they always are. I don't know. That's crazy. Like, are they going to outsource production? Are they going to do it in-house? How's the manufacturing going to work? I think Connor uh, from Investment Talk brought that up earlier to me about the manufacturing of it. So, yeah. And I've thought about this in the past. Like, if they were working under the hood, eventually it's going to show up in the SEC filings, like where that capital is being put to use. Um, so unless they've been doing this for multiple years, I would find it hard to believe that um, no one- Patents. Would I know, but I'd find it so hard to believe that no one would realize five years ago that they were working on auto manufacturing, if they were. Well, I, so back at the firm I worked at, um, Apple was our largest position, and I creep on the 13Fs, and it still is the largest position. And he was like the biggest, he knew everything about Apple. He knew him inside out. He's been covering them since the 90s, pretty much. And I had to know Apple extremely well. And I would read all these Apple forums and everything. And people have been talking about autonomous vehicles at Apple since like 2018, 2019, 2020. So like it's been there, but I think today was actual confirmation almost to an extent. 
You yeah, know what I mean? Th- like the speculation's kind of gone. Do you think the percentage of revenue that it, that Fang stocks are getting today is vastly going to change? I know we're seeing the very beginning of this with Facebook transitioning to Meta. Do you foresee Apple or Amazon trying to get away from hardware or Apple's hardware and going into different channels, kind of similar to what Facebook's doing to Meta and what Amazon, I think, will eventually do with their data storage and things of that nature? I think the short answer is yes. To the extent, I would have to do heavier research. But yeah, I think that's accurate. I think they'll find way optionality. Yeah, They have the cash. I mean, look, Amazon, before Rivian went public, I didn't know Amazon had uh, 18 or 20% stake in them. I didn't know that. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Little information like that goes a long way. Like why not buy out Rivian? Why not shell out the other you the government? You think the government would allow that? They already I hate big, they already hate big tech enough. I mean, at, at some point, 18%, what if it goes to 30%? Like at some point you still have that as a question. Like if it's yeah. wholly owned or half owned, like the, the whole antitrust conversation would still have to come up, I would think. True. Yeah. Good point. Hate when you have good points. Last thing I will say is all of this talk that we've had about froth in the EV sector or EV industry, even with all of that being said, I'm still not going short. Like just the amount of momentum that gets Mm -hmm. built up into these names, I am not risking that volatility going the opposite direction. I, I have respect for anybody who outright shorts companies. I can't do it. No, I mean, it may, I don't have the capital obviously for that, but at the same time, I think, I think if you really want to short a company, you have to find legitimate fraud or accounting yeah. fraud, like forensic accounting fraud, like something, it has to be like legitimate that the market has not noticed yet. Yeah. You could short based on valuation, but that could take years to play out and you could just get burned. Like shorts could be right on Tesla. It's just all about time frame. Yeah. And what I've noticed is, especially on Twitter now recently, you'll have short reports come out by like Muddy Waters or in the past, those Citron and some other prominent companies that are predominantly tilted on the short side come up with a report. And there are valid points in it. I'm not saying that it wasn't wrong, but it's funny how price action immediately after that tweet goes out on their short report on a company absolutely Mm -hmm. destroys the company. Yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely crazy. I mean, you, you saw that with CEI, Canberra Energy. Um, I think it dropped like 25% the day a report went out on Twitter. I forget who tweeted it, but they pretty much went through like essentially fraud by viewing uh, their SEC filings. They came up with a, a story um, and there, there is validity to it, um, but it's just interesting that that much activity goes into just seeing that tweet. So even if you're short a very strong company and a short report comes out from someone that has a hundred thousand followers, it's like, you better hope your timing's right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that definitely covers the EV side of things. One of the next things I want to talk to you about is in the crypto space. I know you don't have crypto exposure. I have uh, a majority of my portfolio in crypto assets. And I thought this what I read today was really interesting. Crypto.com, it's a Singapore-based cryptocurrency exchange brokerage firm. They do some other stuff. They agreed to pay AEG worldwide 
who is like the parent company of Staples Center, who houses the Lakers, the Clippers, and the LA Kings in hockey, they agreed to pay them $700 million over 20 years for the naming rights. So instead of being, (laughs) this is the weirdest name too. I don't like it at all. Instead of the Staples Center, it's going to be named Crypto.com Arena. That is not a roll off the tongue name at all. And they're going to spend $700 million over 20 years. I, I, I saw that, I think I saw that last night and I sent it to my buddy, Michael, who's a sports fan. And I, I was just, I didn't even read the article. I just saw the headline. I admit it. I just read the headline. I was like, Oh my God, this is the dumbest thing ever. The dumbest name ever. But at the same time, the Staples centers like that, I guess adoption of cryptos here. I'm not into it, but like, it's really making a name for itself. Yeah. So. And one thing I think about when I read articles like this is obviously it's going to be a losing project in terms of like your NPV on the project. Like I highly doubt they're going to recoup over $700 million over 20 years by people using their platform strictly because of the naming rights to the Staples Center. Yeah. Highly doubt that. I could be wrong. Maybe there's some sports fanatics that are like, I'm all in now that they're the Lakers home arena but you mean just you mean gambling fanatics yeah gambling fanatics <laughs> whatever it is um maybe that and obviously they probably know this they're probably like we're not doing it to make money on this project we're doing it for marketing and this is maybe an efficient means of marketing their company i mean if you look at 700 million over 20 years it's 35 million dollars a year i don't know what their marketing budget looks like on an annual basis but maybe it's somewhere in that ballpark. So they're like, well, let's just, you know, allocate the majority of it to this rename. But I've I've seen this in the past. FTX is another crypto-related company for the Miami Heat Arena. I think they paid $135 million for the naming rights there. So this is becoming more and more popular. Tom Brady does a cryptocurrency commercial. Uh, some other celebrities are doing that as well. So the capital's there. When you have a market cap run up like this over that short period of time, you have wealthy individuals who are now going to try to drag other people into that industry. And I think that's what you're seeing now. You're trying to, you're seeing this adoption effect, which some will call the network effect of cryptocurrencies as an ecosystem start to reach its tentacles out to all these different areas. And as they do that and get exposure and get people into the industry, its likelihood of staying is higher and higher. Yeah, I think you're right on that, unfortunately. And if you, another point to this is if you think about it in terms of financial instruments, recently we had approved the first US-based futures Bitcoin ETF, BITO. When you think about it in terms of financial instruments, eventually as it becomes more globalized in a financial system and connected, you can't let it go bankrupt. You can't let it go to zero or be worth nothing because you have systemic effects that are Mm -hmm. way more impactful than it going to zero in itself. And this is kind of like the globalized connection that we saw in the financial crisis with housing. Like Mm -hmm. as these tentacles start to spread out and you have financial instruments that are monetizing this cryptocurrency industry, the likelihood of it going to zero, I think is just less and less. Yeah, I agree. But two years ago, people just said it's going to zero. And I still see tweets that are like, it's worth nothing. It's going to zero. 
but even if it is worth nothing, like fundamentally, theoretically, Mm -hmm. academically, even if it is worth nothing, the impacts of that are greater than it being worth something. And someone's always willing to pay for it. So maybe, maybe in our, like for me, I have to be by dynamic. I've accepted the change that it's here. So maybe eventually I'll start looking into it. I'm not dumb for not getting into it earlier. No, yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't accept it because I didn't understand it. I still don't, but I can accept the fact that it's definitely not going to zero, like for the reasons that you just stated on the systemic risk that it would cause, but I can't own it personally. You know what I mean? Like somebody's yeah. always going to be willing to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, someone, it's a new asset someone paid for squid game coin. Some idiot out there is always going to pay for something at a certain price. I mean, I, that's just the way it is. And then squid game coin dropped like 99.99%. So yeah. somebody got, somebody got screwed. It was I a think, scam though. So I think like any emerging industry, there will be few winners and then they'll play off of their business models. And then mm-hmm. eventually you'll see more uh, entities in the ecosystem. Yep. But with that being said, it's a new asset class. So I fully understand your point of view. If we were to be the first investors in equities, I think we'd be still having the same conversation. It's like, how do we know the viability of this new financial instrument if we're the first ones there? Which is really weird to have because our generation pretty much is the first ones there to cryptocurrencies as an asset class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And it's not like if we were the investors in the first, we wouldn't have the history of equities to even understand how to value the the company yeah before ben graham what, what were we doing <laughs> I, throwing darts at a board i don't know <laughs> I mean, yeah i don't know i don't know i great point but yeah those are just some things i found interesting about the crypto space um actually one last thing uh bitcoin just went through a network update uh kind of got this makeover similar to segway from who the the network itself so you have to have consensus of over 90 percent for these upgrades to go through kind of think of it as like a software update to your iphone but you need a 90 percent or higher approval rating so all of the miners all of the nodes operating the network to secure it they all have to go through and approve it or not are there humans behind that yeah yeah there's humans think about it in terms of like if i were to make it simple and this isn't going to be fully accurate but if i was going to make it simple think about it as in like you have 10 websites and you can set your website to say, yeah, I'm going to approve everything. Or the individual that runs the website can go on and say, yeah, I approve this upgrade. So at the end of the day, the, the entity, the person in charge of that node, that mining node is approving it regardless if it was automated to begin with or purposely chose it when the upgrade came to be. Gotcha. But okay. Last one was in 2017. And essentially what these upgrades are doing is they're providing more security uh, and functionality to Bitcoin's network um, as a whole. And it's called Taproot. Uh, And it pretty much aims to increase transaction efficiency. So processing more transactions per second, things of that nature, privacy, um, as well as supporting smart contracts, which is predominantly what the Ethereum network is doing right now. So this is kind of a move in the right direction as it can create some, it lowers the competitive advantage when people are like, well, we have Ethereum for smart contracts, which support NFTs and that whole ecosystem. Well, now both can do it. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, I'm not going to get into the technical stuff because I think it's highly mathematical driven and I just, I would probably butcher it, but 
essentially the way it is going to increase privacy is using what's called a schnorr signature so schnorr yeah schnorr kind of <laughs> kind of sounds like it's from a dr seuss book uh <laughs> s-c-h-n-o-r-r so a schnorr signature okay. pretty much aggregates multiple signatures into one so it masks it so i guess a, an analogy would be like you logging into your banking account and you have your password and you put it in that's your signature now think about it in terms of like you have eight signatures that form into one password that then logs you into your banking account so you can so my kinda, face my face id yeah like i mean that's in in that sense there are multiple data points that are you know the dense the depth of your face your eye and mouth and nose construct and those in that sense it could be similar but essentially think about as merging multiple signatures into one which provides greater privacy in terms of sending and receiving transactions. And then finally, to that point, I found this really interesting. Bitcoin network settles $190,000 per second in terms of transactional volume. Visa does $130,000 per second in the US. And MasterCard does $55,000 per second in the US. So it's over three times that of MasterCard's US uh, transaction volume and like 1.5 of Visa. So I thought that was pretty interesting because this was a big hiccup in the Bitcoin network is that it wouldn't have the ability to handle such volume. But I think that's starting to prove true as the network becomes more efficient. Interesting. Thanks for pitching me Bitcoin. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> I could. T this would be a whole episode, but that's all I had on this. We have. We will at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think... I have some crypto friends I can bring on and kind of, I think the best way to do it would be to have a debate. So have one side of saying, well, what's the point and have the other side try to make their case. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be a very interesting concept to have. Yeah. For me, it's like less of a debate from my side because I've accepted at this, at, at this point, it's more of questions so I could fully understand it, but I'm still not going to buy anything related to it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But one of the biggest things that doesn't make sense right now, supply chains. Mm. So I know we talked about this in the past and I think we can brush over this pretty quickly as you know, many people out there are already talking about it. I think we're coming on the back end of the supply chain, the same way we were talking about coming out of the drawdown in the S and P 500, which I think we were right. But we were, we were, and we might've even called the bottom. Uh, I think we did. I have been very tempted to go back and look at when we recorded that. And when I said, when I said, we're going to have a face ripping rally into the year end, I literally think it was like two days later we pulled. Okay. The correction was like 7% on the NASDAQ, but we're literally at all time highs today. Mm -hmm. So we called it. We called it. And I'm still not at all time highs in my trading account. So I'm going to go out on a, on a limb and do the same thing for the supply chain. Okay. I think we are in the back half, the back innings, you know, call it the eighth or ninth inning of this supply chain disruption. And I'll kind of tell you why in a, in a brief way, not to drag this out, but multiple companies. So 290 companies in Q3 earnings were mentioning inflation out of the 505, technically 500, but you have different classes, um, 290 of them. So 
you know, over half of the companies were mentioning inflation. So that's, that's directly tied to the supply chains. Um, but recently, within the past few weeks, we've had TJX, which is the parent company of TJ Maxx and Home Goods, said mm-hmm. they're in good position for holiday sales. They already think they have the inventory ready for holiday sales, the seasonal sales trend. On top of that, Target also said that inventory increased 17.6% over the past quarter, and they're good to go for the holiday season. So we have some major retailers so far in Q3 saying that they think there is going to be ample supply for the holiday season, which is going to ramp up. You know, typically the last three months of the year, the highest retail sales changes month over month. I don't see that changing anytime soon because of the seasonality effects. But to that point, so that's retailers, that's big box retailers. Semiconductors is also another a concern on the supply chains. So GM, uh, I think it was the very beginning of November, said that for the first time since February, none of its North American assembly plants were offline due to chip shortages. So they have at least enough supply and chip shortages to keep their North American supply chains online, their manufacturing assembly plants. Also in that same industry, Toyota said that production lines in Japan will return to normal operations in December, which is the first time they've said that in seven months. So now we have another major car manufacturer, um, both actually in terms of sale, make up a pretty large size. Uh, Toyota, in terms of complete auto sales, makes up 12%. So they, they're saying they're coming back online. GM, it's right around 5 to 6%. So Call it 17% of auto manufacturers think their assembly lines will be ready to go, which is a good thing. Uh, And then lastly, another thing that's been in the media lately is that the ports in LA, for instance, have been backed up tremendously. So the number of import containers at the LA port has dropped 25% month over month, which is a really good thing to see. There's still some buildup there, but a 25 month over month drop in containers at the LA port is what we're seeing right now over the latest month over month. And then finally, in that same industry, the Baltic Dry Index, I think the ticker's BDI that tracks the cost of shipping rates. And it's also like a gauge for inflation. Um, that dropped 50% since its peak in October 7th. That's a positive. Yeah. <clears throat> so if that tracks shipping rates and shipping rates are going down, then that's mm-hmm. another tailwind to support an online supply chain. Yep. So with those things, uh, that's why I think we're in the back half of this supply chain disruption in 2022. We're really going to start to see demand and supply normalize. Yeah, I can agree with that. I know um, Iteris, one of the companies that I own, they're one of the more capital intensive companies I own because they actually make things. It's not software, although they are transitioning to software, but that's for another podcast. Um, they took a $1.2 million hit in top line. So they missed estimates by about 3%. Uh, they took $1.2 million hit because their contractors couldn't get projects done because the supply chain was so screwed up to implement the products that they they sell. So I'm sure we'll see that $1.2 million show up in the next quarter. So they said they still see supply chain issues persisting through the rest of the year from their end. And they're a very small company, like $200 million market cap. So I think a lot of it is leverage over your suppliers too, in a way. I mean, Apple, GM, Ford, Lamb Research, et cetera, et cetera. They have a lot of leverage over their suppliers. So they get a little bit of pricing. They get kind of like that first come 
type of deal with their suppliers. So for them, it sucks a little bit and I view it as an inefficiency. So I'm going to keep buying. I have some cash raised in my Roth. I'm going to buy them. They're under five bucks now. Yeah. And it, when you think about they it, they keep going down that, 3% a day. I know. Yeah. When, when you think about it in terms of like size of a company, you're obviously going to have greater benefits in terms of pricing power uh, and just the magnitude at which you can purchase that will help your own supply chain. So for instance, if I can buy a million units versus a small cap company that can only buy a thousand units, well, guess what? They're going to fill the million units first. They're going to work off right. that volume. And right. I think size is a, is a big thing when we're talking about supply chains and inflation, because it's going to be a top-down sort of exercise that we go through. And just what we were just talking about, these large auto manufacturers and big box retailers are the large players. So if we're seeing that type of conversation play out now, I think it'll just take a little bit more time to funnel down the market cap ladder. Right. Size matters. Yeah. In this situation, size matters. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm calling it right now. I think we're on the other end of the, of the supply chain disruption. And yeah, it'll just I take agree. some time to flush out just because COVID... Uh, took some time to get to some normalized activity in businesses. I think this will be the same thing. And I think in essence, I'm bullish on broader markets. And I think it's a s individual stock pickers market and you have to be positioned to what the secular trend is right now. And I think the markets climb walls of worry all the time. When there's no worries, that's when you should worry. And right now you got inflation, you have the supply chain issues. These are all worries that you see people tweet about all the time. Rising interest rate worries. Okay. 2018, you had trade war worries. Okay. How many times, if you go back to the fact set reports in 2018 on how many times China trade war was mentioned in earnings calls, it was, it was absurd. Like that's all people focused on. That's what all the media focused on. Now you have inflation, supply chain issues. Things will normalize. That's what I think people have to keep in mind. Things are going to normalize. Things are going to revert back to the mean. Markets climb a wall, worry. Relax. Yeah. Unless, you're, unless you're an active trader like me and the fundamentals have not changed on your business, keep going. Yeah, honestly. Um, and I think, I forget who said it, you might know. Uh, the investor pretty much said, that. what's the point in me worrying? There's enough people out there already worrying. It's just going to cloud my judgment. Yeah, I forget who tweeted that. Um, oh, but uh, it was, it was, no, somebody tweeted uh, that excerpt from, was it Bill Gross? No, it wasn't Bill Gross. Might have Seth been, Claremont and somebody else. Might have been Bill Gross. Wasn't it? It uh, was it? It was those two? Uh, I know it was definitely Seth Claremont. I need but... to find that interview. I can't find the full interview. Yeah, when you sent me that snippet, and one of us should probably share this to our Twitter. Uh, yeah, we will. We will. Uh, I'll find it and then I'll tweet it. I think it was but it's Stanley, Stanley Druckenmiller. Yes, Druck. Um, but he was pretty much saying that what's the point in me worrying about the stock market and you have all of these risks because there's already enough people worrying about it. And mm -hmm. if I'm worrying about it, then it's just going to cloud my judgment. And me worrying about it as an individual is not going to change any of those risks persisting into the investments. So the best thing to really do is look past them, look forward, look for the solution, and then really make a clear-minded decision as your next move with those risks being apparent. And take that and look for inefficiencies in the broader market. Break it down, 
from the sector industry and find the inefficiency that those headlines are causing in those businesses. I, that's how you produce alpha. 100%. So from my plan, I'll leave it at that. I'm starving. I'm leaving for Chicago tomorrow uh, with my dad. Uh, so I'm going to go out to dinner with Alex and Da Baby. Yeah. Have a good time on your trip. And we'll be back next week with uh, another episode. It'll be a guest episode. Ex Goldman Sachs employee, now turned family office manager, very intelligent person. Really excited to have him on. I think he'll be able to share a really interesting perspective that we just don't have because of experience, mm-hmm. age, and all of those things that go into being an investor. So, Without that being said, hopefully you enjoyed our market commentary part one. We'll have these occasionally just be entertaining back and forth to chat um, and we'll see you next time. Peace.